Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, the weekend has arrived. What? What? Good morning. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's been a busy week. Jam-packed week. And we got an excellent weekend lined up as well. You know it's going to be a good show. When you walk into the studio... And you have matching shirts yet again. Three days in a row, I do believe. That's three days in a row. (laughs) Already on the same page, that means it's going to be a good show. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined, of course, by the producer extraordinaire, Photographer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. Let's start there. Before we give a tease of what we got lined up for today's show, because that's what we always do, before we unveil the poll question of the day, let's get five names on the microphone here. Let's start off the day that way, because this is what y'all don't know. As you are waking up, making us part of your morning commute for work or school, Maybe you're listening to us on your Alexa. Big weekend for the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. Tomorrow, she will be handling our ticket giveaway there at Acadiana Bar and Grill. We got UL tickets to give away. We got LSU tickets to give away. She'll be doing our ticket giveaway from 12 to 1 o'clock tomorrow at Acadiana Bar and Grill. That's the first thing. That'll be the first time she'll be doing that. The second thing is she will be traveling to the Chuck. That's right. The home opener for the Minis Cowboys is tomorrow. First game at 7 o'clock kick since 2014. First game under the lights. Since before the Hurricanes, all the tailgating spots sold out. They have a slew of special events going on, some old traditions that occur there at the hole, the home of the McNeese Cowboys. They're going to be brought back. It's got some electricity. It's got some buzz going on about it. She's going to be coming with me to cover it. Video recaps, photos online galleries, the whole nine yards. But it's her first time. Come to find out, it's also her first time 
to McNeese and her first time to Lake Charles. So Lake Charles, got to make sure this is a big weekend for you. It's a big weekend for Hannah Five Names. Big weekend. Get to go to the Chuck. Never been, you said. You've drove through. You've maybe stopped off and got gas because you're originally from Slidell. Mm-hmm. You've never been to the Chuck. No, I have not. I have not been to the Chuck. I think I was almost in the Chuck. Or me, I've been in the Chuck. I didn't know it when I went to the Astros game. But I uh, I don't think so. I thought she had just, like, gone and stayed in the Chuck. So, Lake Charles will welcome you with open arms Saturday. It will be a great time. And look, there's more buzz and excitement about this McNeese football game than there has been in years. So, you get to experience that as well. So... Big weekend for five names. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a long day, but I'm ready. You're ready. You got this. Yeah. You give tickets mm-hmm. away at lunch. Then you can get on the road with yours truly. We're going to head westbound on I-10. Boom. That will be the longest time you and I will be in a car together. Possibly the last time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Big weekend. Big weekend going on around here. We have a tremendous show to get you set up for the weekend. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast will join us, talk all things Astros. They were a winner last night against the Oakland Athletics to begin their series against their old division rival. We'll talk all about it and then look ahead to the weekend with James Yasko at 7 o'clock. At 7.30, how about an LSU baseball legend? How about a Major League Baseball All-Star? How about a soon-to-be Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer? Paul Bird is going to be joining us. Great conversation. He now works for the Atlanta Braves as part of their broadcast, but the former LSU Tiger star, a starter on the first national championship team at LSU under Skip Burtman, will be joining us to reflect back on his career, his favorite Skip Burtman story, and so much more. But we're not done with the legends. No, no, no. After we get done talking to Paul Bird this morning, how about a local legend? How about a man that won over 200 football games? Currently sits with the 21st most wins in state history. A man that let the Port Berry Devils to their one and only state championship, which was 20 years ago this season. The famed Port Berry head coach, Donnie Perron, will be joining us. Lengthy conversation with him about how he was able to get that program up and running and take it to new heights. They'd never been to the state semifinals before he got there. They went multiple times. They also won a state championship. That'll be coming up at 8 o'clock. And then, of course, the 8 o'clock hour, jam-packed. Zach Miller, Friday Fantasies, give you the latest and greatest tips to help you win your fantasy football matchup. If you're Hannah Five Names, you don't need any help. Like, you don't need the resident expert on RP3 and company because you already have the station's resident expert helping you with your lineup. That'll be at 8.15. And then TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast will join us to help us preview Bucks, Saints for the Big Easy Blitz. So jam-packed show today. Lots to get to. 
And let's start it off with that Thursday night football game. I was broadcasting the St. Andrew Parish game of the week with my good friend Chad Jones last night. Wasn't able to listen to the game in its entirety. When I wrapped up, I was able to catch the the last three minutes, and uh, it was good. (laughs) Blockbuster type of Thursday night football. Rarely do we get these type of matchups. We have the Los Angeles Chargers, the Kansas City Chiefs. And everyone's been trying to dethrone the Chiefs as the kings of the AFC West. They've won it five out of the last six years. They're tired of Patrick Mahomes. They're tired of Andy Reid. They're tired of Travis Kelsey. It's time to move on. Let's 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 crown somebody else. Ooh, Russell Wilson and the Broncos. That's going to make a difference. And then Russell Wilson and the Broncos just wet themselves in the opener against Seattle. Oh, it's the Raiders. They added Devontae Adams. Oh man, they're gonna they're they're gonna get it. Yes, this is the Raiders' year. Yeah. They lost their opener. And then the Chargers. They got a great young quarterback. They got a dynamic running back. They they were aggressive in free agency to improve their defense. James is an absolute stud in the back end of the uh, defense. Oh, it's the Chargers' year. Oh, as it stands right now, on Friday, September sixteenth. Guess who's two and zero. And guess who's in the driver's seat yet again in the AFC West? It's the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, it does not mean that this wasn't a competitive game. It does not mean that this wasn't an interesting game. Because it was. Because the Chargers seized control early, didn't they? Took command in this game, yet they find themselves on the wrong end of a 27-24 to loss. Herbert gets banged up in this game. You could tell he took that one hit and then he was gingerly walking around and he couldn't move side to side like he wanted to. They're going to reevaluate him, but man, it sure did like, like, I don't want to speculate, but it didn't look good. But he still got in there and threw another touchdown. Big showdown, Chiefs, Chargers, to the league's best teams, Bright young quarterbacks. But it may have been the unheralded seventh-round draft pick who, as we come to find out last night a few years ago, was working alongside his mom inside of Wendy's. Jalen Watson picked off Justin Herbert at the goal line early in the fourth quarter. And then promptly took it to the house. 99-yard pick six. That proved to be the go-ahead touchdown for Kansas City. The fans at Arrowhead Stadium went absolutely berserk, and that helped propel the Chiefs to a 27-24 victory. Watson said afterwards, quote, I don't even remember what happened at that moment. It's all so surreal, end quote. Mahomes was good but not great. 235 touchdown passes to Jarek McKinnon and Justin Watson. Filling kicker Matt Amadell was perfect in place of the injured Harrison Butker, but it was Kansas City's defense that was the difference in this game. 
that allowed the Chiefs to overcome some early issues and an early test to pull out the win. Two series after Watson's go-ahead touchdown, things even got worse for the Chargers when Herbert was drilled by defensive end Mike Dana while delivering a throw. He left the field clutching his side. When I first heard it, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, that's ribs. That could be a rib issue. But he returned one play later through an incompletion that forced the Chargers to punt while still trailing 24-17. Former LSU star and Louisiana native Clyde Edwards Hilaire had himself a game over 100 all-purpose yards. He split the defense on a 52-yard run that set up a field goal for Kansas City. Herbert, meanwhile, got him close again through a 36-yard completion on fourth down to extend the their ensuing possession and then hit Joshua Palmer in the back of the end zone on a fourth and goal to pull the Chargers within 27-24 with just over a minute to go. Herbert finished the night 334 with three touchdown passes. And then the Chargers went for the onside kick. It got a little hairy. I wasn't watching, but I heard it on the radio because we covered the game, carried the game right here on the game. And I was like, oh, oh. And the announcers got really excited. There was a a, a scrum, so to speak. But Kansas City was able to recover the ball and run out the clock. Hard-fought victory. And the Chargers, look, Chargers had a great game plan. They held Kansas City to 13 yards in the first quarter. 13! Patrick Mahomes was okay, but not great. But it didn't matter. Despite the relentless pressure of Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack and Derwin James, who is just phenomenal. Couldn't do enough to win the game. Pick six was obviously a huge backbreaker. Chiefs 27, Chargers 24. Do I think these two teams are going to battle it out in the AFC West all season long to see who wins the division? Yes. Do I think people rushing to bury Kansas City after they lost Tyreek Hill in the offseason was premature and borderline moronic? Yep. You still got Andy Reid. You still got Travis Kelsey. You still got Patrick Mahomes. You still got uh, all-purpose back in Clyde over to Lair. Right? There we go. <laughs> like, I just... I, I'm, I'm always of the thought... Until I see the team that's been dominating in division, until I see a team that takes a step back, actually take a step back, I'm not going to jump to the conclusion. I'm not, look at me, I want to be the guy that is proven right by making bold choices. Is the AFC West ultra competitive with the Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, and Raiders? Yes. Did the Broncos spend all that money on Russell Wilson? They could very well end up in fourth place in their own division. Sure can. Until someone can show me, until someone can knock off Kansas City in the AFC West, and Kansas City remains one of the favorites to win the AFC, until I actually see that happen, I'm not going to be throwing dirt on the Kansas City Chiefs, especially in the AFC West. We got to take a timeout. 
Good start to today's show. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we will unveil the poll question of the day. Oh, yeah. And then we give you a little bit of a Saints-Bucks preview as well with some audio to share there. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. And it's a good one. Who do you got for Sunday's game in the Dome? Straightforward. Easy poll question on this Friday morning. Easy poll question. 86% of you say the New Orleans Saints are going to win their game in the Caesar Superdome. 14% say the Tampa Bay of Buckaroos. Salty Steve, who practices No Salt Fridays, says... Tampa Bay is having receiver issues. Saints have running back and O-line issues. Saints have owned Tampa Bay in the regular season. As Coach O used to say, the team that controls the line controls the game. Tampa Bay has the has the better in that matchup. Tampa Bay 2017 over the Saints. Whew. They're also having O-line issues too, Steve. They got one of their starters. That's going to be a game-time decision. So I, I think both have offensive line issues. I think... Tampa, offense, with the exception of Leonard Fournette, did not look sensational against the Cowboys. Lots of field goals. But I do like the score. Hint, hint. 20-17 to 17 seems about right. This seems like this is going to be a bit of a dogfight. This could be an ugly game Sunday inside the Dome. John Paul Daddy says, new season, same results. Saints dominance over the Bucks and Tommy B, even without Gardner-Johnson, they will get to little Tommy and get into his head, and we may see another tablet fly. JPK, though, D says, I know he says he doesn't like the name anymore, but we will see the resurrection of the Honey Badger to take up residence in the spot in Tom Brady's head that Chauncey Gardner-Johnson had been living in rent-free. Hashtag headspace vacancy filled. Saints overwhelmingly are leading this vote. it's a tough game it's a a tough game yes the Saints have defeated Tom Brady every season in the regular season every game they've beaten the Bucs seven games in a row in the regular season overall they've defeated Tom Brady every game he's been in Tampa Bay but when the game mattered the most They lost that game. That was the playoffs. And the fact that New Orleans was not as physical as Atlanta across the line of scrimmage, back to Steve's point, the O-line doesn't concern me. It was the defensive line not being the more physical unit. They've leaned on their defense They've leaned on their front seven in particular, especially in this series against Tampa Bay. 
That defensive line, the front seven, did not look good for three quarters against Atlanta. Now, you hope that that is resolved. You hope that it's not going to be an issue and that that last quarter is the spark and that they're going to come out because they're going to be in front of the home crowd and the dome and they're going to be ready to go. You hope that. And typically, I would feel that way. But I don't know. I know it's the first game, and they haven't had preseason like they typically do and all that jazz, and that plays a role. I get it. I really do. But it gives me a little pause when it, to making my prediction for this game. Cam Jordan, Pete Carmichael, and Chris Richard spoke with the media yesterday. A couple of coaches and a star player. And Cam said, you know, they understand they have a challenge. They understand that Tom Brady, considered by many to be the GOAT, is going to be coming inside the Caesar Superdome. And they're going to have a, quite the challenge. And this is what the team captain and perennial pro bowler, all pro, had to say about facing against Tom Brady. Tom Brady is one of the most prolific quarterbacks you're ever going to run into. I mean, uh, the fact that he has seven Super Bowls, the fact that he's been in the league for, I don't know, 22 years, 23 years. It's, okay. you know, he's 44. He probably started playing at 21. I think it's 20. Oh, Lord, he's just impressive. Um, you know, he's seen every defense. You can't, you can't really disguise anything against him. He knows exactly where you're going to be. He's watched enough film where, uh, at this point, we're, we're just playing real ball and trying to disguise and trying to throw him off if you can. But the fact that he has seen everything, the fact that he knows that he has receivers, the fact that he knows he can check down and, and get yards, uh, it's probably more frustrating. You probably want to go against somebody who can run around because that's going to come every day. They also struggled against the run as well last week against the Falcons. Typically, they're really good against the run. The Saints defense is, and Chris Richard, defensive coach, talked about the challenge facing them, in particular, stopping, slowing down Leonard Fournette, the former LSU star. Yeah, I could say he's a he's an aggressive, like bruiser, right? Like this, like he's what you call like an, a war daddy, right? Again, he's like fast good moves, great vision, and then tough to bring down. So we have to get his cleats out the grass. Stop his momentum, set the edges, and get his cleats out the grass. We'll be effective. So that kind of breaks it down, specifically how they're game planning to stop Leonard Fournette because he is, when he gets rolling, he's quite the load. He's a, he's a great running back, great running back. And he's really found his stride, so to speak, once he arrived in Tampa Bay. And Richard also got unveiled a little bit of the perspective, so to speak, on what's the key to defending a Tom Brady-led offense. Well, it's it's disrupting the timing. So we have to disrupt the timing and rhythm. And again, that's where, again, rush and coverage, right? We play an integral part together. So if he's going to be able to stand in there, then we, that means we need to do a great job on the back end, disrupting the timing and then allowing our guys to rush. So you can tell they understand that they have quite the challenge facing them. And the Saints fans know how many times they've beaten Tampa Bay in a row. They understand that they've beaten Tom Brady every time they've matched up during the regular season. Coaches and the players really don't care about that because they understand it's a new season, new challenges every week in the NFL. Anybody can win, anybody can lose. They completely understand that. Offensively, 
Pete Carmichael's now the one calling plays. The longtime assistant coach now is the OC for the Saints. And he was asked, look, you know, you get all these guys. Do you take anything from the type of offenses those players played in in college? And do you try to implement that into what you do on Sunday? Maybe sometimes it might be a concept that you want to do. And he's like, hey, I've done that before. Or it's, hey, when we saw this particular defense this is something that we did in college and so ideas are being shared all the time and I think that uh you know I mean these guys have the videos for you and say I can show you right now and so uh with the media that's technology I guess that's available and so obviously you know if a guy has success with something and it fits we'll do it so there you go if it benefits them and they can do it they'll do it we got to take a time out that's what we got to do right now When we return, though, here on RP3 and Company, hey, by the way, keep voting on that poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We'll share them throughout throughout today's show. But when we come back, we'll shift gears to college. Little LSU. Hear from Brian Kelly. They have a huge game Saturday evening, tomorrow, 5 o'clock kick. Mississippi State, LSU in Death Valley. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match for sports talk love, that is. Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. In Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area, so if you or a contractor that you've hired is digging a new hole, to put in a fence, a pool, minor landscaping, a gazebo, in-law suite. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Carport. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Look, maybe you knock the power out for your entire neighborhood. But sometimes there's going to be an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location and buried line so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge. And guess what? It's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service. And to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, reminds you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Who do you got Sunday? Saints, Bucks. Saints have won seven in a row against Tampa in the regular season. They beat up on Tom Brady. They just won in dramatic fashion and probable victory over the Dirty Birds. Game's going to be at home. But I'm not as confident as others. Just saying. The way the line played, O-line and D-line played against Atlanta is a concern. Now, could it just been the first game? 
Could it just been essentially not playing any time during the preseason? Sure could. But Tampa's defense is legit. They are salty. They're really good on that side of the football. And they can run the football. Godwin may be out. Mike Evans will get locked up by Marshawn Lattimore like always. And Godwin will be a game-time decision. And there's no Gronk. I get all that. But if the Saints play, start off this game like they did last game, they're going to lose by double-digit points. So they got to be focused. They got to be locked in. The Dome's got to be absolutely on fire with the crowd noise for them to win Sunday. But I have some concerns based on not how Jameis played, not how the offense played, nothing like that. Line of scrimmage, games are won up front. All the things that you guys love so much, you obsess over because of fantasy football, all the quarterback numbers and the wide receiver numbers, none of that happens if your team isn't good along the line of scrimmage on offense and defense. It still matters. No matter how much you don't want it to matter, it still matters. Keep voting on that poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We have a few minutes here. Let's talk a little LSU. Big game for them this weekend. SEC opener, Mississippi State, the Mad Pirate, brings his offense to town. Rogers, man, he can play. He can chuck it. Remember two years ago when they came to town, it was embarrassing. SEC record for passing yards in a game by Mississippi State. Woof. That was with Mike Leach as the head coach. Brian Kelly, though, is now in charge. And after stumbling in the opener against Florida State, they got back on track with a victory over Southern. Great atmosphere, great game for the city of Baton Rouge, for the state of Louisiana, historic. Shout out to all the people that love the bands. But not a competitive game. So we still really don't know what LSU is about. Are they more like the team that faced Southern? Or are they more like the team that faced Florida State? Feels like it's kind of in the middle, right? And they're going to get tested early. Not going to be tested by New Mexico. No offense to the Lobos who come to Death Valley next Saturday. Don't think that's really a test there for the purple and gold. This is the first test of the SEC season. You got Mississippi State, then it's New Mexico, and then it's on the road at Auburn. Going to find out a lot about the Tigers in those first two SEC games. We're not even getting to the point where they have to play, you know, Arkansas, Alabama, Ole Miss. That'll come later. Oh, by the way, top 25 ranked Tennessee will be coming to town too. Schedule's a little, little tough. Brian Kelly talked to the media yesterday, covered a slew of different topics. And look, he even admitted, the former longtime Notre Dame head football coach, was asked, hey, are you still learning things? Do you think you're still learning new things in particular about your players and this team as a whole each and every week? 
Yeah, there's no doubt this is discovery each week, good and bad. And it's not just necessarily tactical uh, and technical. This is still about good habits, bad habits, how to practice. Uh, you know, and in some instances, you know, you know, when you're not 100%. Can you give me, if you're 80, can you give me 100% of 80? So all those things, you know, we're, you know, we're kind of going through that process right now. And, and I think it's going to be something that continues to evolve. You know, we're still building trust that they need to trust us and, and we need to trust them when they tell us something as well. So long answer to the question is we're, we're still in a process right now. It's going to be that way for a while. He, he took over a program with 38 scholarship players has to build the roster, has to reshuffle the roster. It's going to take a while because he's still learning about his team. And look, it's one thing to evaluate your team during spring football and fall camp. It's another thing when the lights are on, you get to really find out about your team. You get to find out who on the team is ready to wear that jersey. And what I mean by that is, there are guys that are really good practice players. But when it's time to play the game, they wilt. The spotlight is too much for them. They get nervous. They get filled with anxiety. They make mental mistakes. Then it snowballs on them, and then they're completely in their head, and they're not an effective impact player on the field. Other guys are okay practice players, but when the lights come on, they come on. And they take it to another level. As a coach, you always hope you have the majority of the players that are both, that are great practice players that also turn it on when the lights come on for game days. Those are rare. Those are rare. If you have a football team, in all honesty, a third of them are that, a third of them are the guys that are okay practice players that are great in games. And another third are great practice players that aren't very good when the spotlight's on them. That's usually the makeup of most teams. So LSU, Brian Kelly, and his staff, they're going to learn a lot about this team. You can have all the stars in front of your name coming out of high school. You can wow them during practice, during one-on-one drills. That's great. But until you're playing in front of 100,000 people inside Tiger Stadium against an SEC opponent with a game on the line, you're not going to find out what you really got until those moments occur. They are led on defense. They have some guys. Secondary's been reshuffled. Front seven, we've talked a lot about the defensive line. But linebacker Micah Bakersfield is an impact player. And Kelly talked about how big of a role will Micah play. He'll play quite a bit. You know, this is a, you know, kind of tailor-made for his skill set. I think he played well against Mississippi State last year, and he's got a really good sense of, of what we want to do in terms of coverage. But, you know, I, I think the other thing is you got to tackle really well. you got to get guys down in space, and, and you're fighting for every blade of grass, right? you got to get them, in, get them down because, you know, they're a team that certainly puts themselves in, in really good third-down situations as well. The linebackers are going to be critical for LSU to win this game. Mike Jones is going to have to have a great game as well. Because in Leach's offense, when we think of it, we have the misconception about the air raid where we think about it, it's just deep shots down the field. That's not how it is. It's dinking and dunking quickly. 
and then taking shots, sprinkling those in. It's not 50-yard passes all the time. But it's a constant barrage, a constant attack, an air raid. Constant, 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 constant. So your linebackers have more responsibilities because they have to be really good in coverage. Now, Mike Jones, the former Clemson transfer, he that's his strength. He's better in coverage than he is against the run. So you're going to need a big game from him. You're going to need a big game from Micah as well because those linebackers are going to be tested. Also tested, it's going to be the secondary. Colby Richardson, the McNeese transfer, Louisiana native, he came in. He got banged up. What's the latest on him? Is he going to be able to play Saturday? Yeah, he had a mild thigh contusion, but he practiced all week. So really responded well, and yeah, he's good to go. He's, he's practiced all week. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal for them to be able to have him because they like what he does. He understands the defense. He understands the game plan that they'd like to have. What about the former Lafayette Christian Academy star, Mr. Football for the state of Louisiana, Sage Ryan? Yeah, so Sage, you know, has been playing more. I just think consistency and performance for him each and every week is going to gain him some more playing time. He's showing up, you know, in practice with consistent performances. So it's, you know, he's got to unseat, you know, you know Brooks Ward. You know, there's talented guys. Fouché's coming back in, you know, another week or so. So it's a, it's a deep group back there. So elevating his performance is what he has to do during the week of practice, and he's doing it. And and so I think you'll you'll see more of him. He's got to he's got to be involved in every special teams as well but we like what he's doing they like what sage is doing but they're they're letting you know he's got to be more consistent but he could be an impact player for this team if he can do that and from an offensive standpoint you know or from sorry from a defensive standpoint what's the biggest challenge how do you defend a mike leach air raid offense yeah, they run it effectively, and so if your edges are too soft and, you know, you're just in a three-man look, and if the number's equal, you know, if it's five for five, you know, they're five offensive linemen for your five guys, they're, they're going to do really well running the football. So you've got to mix it up. You've got to be able to go six for five at times, and, and that's going to give them an opportunity to throw the football. So, look, it's, it's, a, it's a numbers game, and you can't just sit in one look. If you do, you're going to get gouged. LSU's going to get tested. Look, if they can rise up and get a win against a ascending Mississippi State team, that could change their fortunes for this season. It's a great test and a great opportunity for Brian Kelly to get a signature win. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one update, that poll question of the day. That's all going to be coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. The NFL's opening week was action-packed and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. You want more action? Who doesn't? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you're going to get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code 1037GAME to get yourself $200 
in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. Must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus issued as a free bet. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partners Golden Nugget, Lake, Charles, and gambling problem. Call 1-877-770-STOP. Poll question of the day. We make it easy for you. It's Friday. We know you've had a long work week. Real simple. It's either one answer or another. Not multiple choice. You got two choices. That's it. Who you got for Sunday's game in the dump? Buccaneers, Saints. Right now, overwhelmingly, 80% of you say the Hoodats. 20% say Tommy and the Buccaneers. JPK, the OD, says Tom Brady is a statue. Game plan to beat Tampa is simple. Run blitz pressure up the middle, cover receivers for 3.2 seconds, stuff running back or sack pressure, Brady equals win. I'm really surprised the Saints seem to be the only team to have figured it out. Trust me, I coach Pop Warner football. Once again, you're not wrong, JPK, the OD, but the Saints didn't play well across the line of scrimmage last week against Atlanta and Marcus Mariota. Saying, gives me pause. Ton on Twitter says, Saints beat Tampa Bay twice last year with no wide receivers worth a darn and a no real QB. Saints own them. Saints win. I love the confidence. Hart says, I don't see this being a blowout, but what New Orleans does well is getting pressure up front with four to disrupt Tom, and they play really good man coverage until Tampa shows up. Otherwise, I'm sticking with the Saints. And Tad on Twitter says, Saints by four. Keep those votes coming for the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Hour number one in the books. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, we're dancing on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. Just make sure don't bump into the desk. Don't want to do that. Don't want to disrupt any equipment. Just saying. Bad things could happen. Having a great show so far. It's a big weekend. right? It's a big weekend for us. Yours truly will be later on today out at the Cigar Merchant from noon to one because we'll be giving away tickets for LSU and UL football games. We got the prize wheel, the illustrious prize wheel. You get to come old school game show style and spin the wheel to win tickets or shirts or koozies. I'll be at the Cigar Merchant today giving away tickets for UL LSU football games. That'll be from noon to one right there at 1001 Coolidge in the Oil Center. Hannah, five names. She'll be giving tickets away 
tomorrow from 12 to 1 at Acadiana Bar and Grill located at 327 Iberia Street in Youngsville. She's got tickets to give away for different LSU and UL football games. It's also a big weekend because Hannah Five Names is going to make it to Lake Charles for the very first time. We're covering the home opener for the meeting. These Cowboys tailgating is sold out. It's their first game at 7 o'clock since 2014. It's their first game under the light since the hurricanes devastated and destroyed the campus. Tailgating sold out. They're bringing back some old traditions, we're being told. It's going to be a big crowd for McNeese as they take on Alcorn State. So we'll be there covering it. And it'll be Hannah Five Names' first time ever in Lake Charles. I'm a veteran of the, the Lake Chuck. Having covered events there for years and living in nearby Beaumont, which I refer to as Lake Charles of Texas. Because that's what Beaumont is. Lake Charles of Texas. People told me, when you live in Texas, it's going to be different. Okay? I lived in Beaumont for two years. It felt a lot like living in Louisiana. Refineries, old field people, the coast. The only difference was there's a lot of star decor on the outside of homes instead of Florida Lees. That was the big, <laughs> the big change. Speaking of Texas, them Houston Astros just keep winning ballgames. Best team in the American League. Got their eyes set on another World Series run. And to break it all down for us is our good friend from the Lima Time Time podcast and a contributor for the Houston Chronicle and Hannah Five Names' favorite Astros guest of the week that appears on Fridays, James Yasko. James, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm looking for Chandler Fields to have a real big game against Rice. I just want to I just want to throw that out there. Yes, throwing in Rice conversation. Uh, all right, bud. I know it's the athletics, but you want to see your team go out there and execute. You want to see them just keep rolling even against inferior competition, especially with home field advantage on the line here as we come down the stretch run in September. What stood out to you this week with the series sweep of Detroit and how things started off last night with a win over Oakland. Well, I mean, you know, we have had the conversation multiple times about how, how the, the Astros have a tendency to play, to sort of play down to their competition Uh, and, and to, to go up to Detroit and, and lose two out of three or, or um, you know, that, that that would not have been, that, that would not have been out of character for the Astros. So, so to see them sort of still locked in, uh, you know, with with 20-ish games left in the in the season, and and take care of business against a you know a, a team that the you know you've got a familiar face in the in the dugout on the other side, it was it was good. So the, you know the, they're they're staying locked in and and um, you know it's no it's what it's what you want to see as you get as you get ready for the for the stretch. Is Kyle Tucker underrated? Yes, one hundred percent. Uh, and you know, you're, you're, he's, I don't know, he's got a, a, sh- a shot, uh, at a 30, 30 season, you know, he, he'd have to start stealing bases and I don't know that, that dusty would want him, would want him doing that, but you know, he's like, what, 27 home runs and 22 stolen bases. And, uh, you know, the, the power numbers are there. Yes. He's underrated. What stands out to me watching this team from afar, James is he is kind of fit into that role of when the team needs a big hit, you need that RBI double to go ahead. 
He comes up with it. You need that home run to see some momentum in the game. He's that guy, and it just seemingly organically has happened. It's not been forced on him. He's just grown into that role, and this season in particular, when they need a big hit, he's their guy. Yeah, and and that's, you know, when he came up, he came up in, what, 2018? And and just had a an absolutely miserable start to his career, sort of like a kind of like the way that Bregman uh, you know, started off like two for 42 or some, or something just terrible like that. Um, but was given time to sort of develop and, and he was, you know, with, with all of the big bats around him in the, in the lineup, he, he never had to be the guy. Uh, and it's sort of kind of the way that, that Jeremy Pena, uh, has, has been this, this season that, that you've got Altuve, you've got Bregman, you've got Jordan. Uh, you, at one point you had uh, a living Mike, Michael Brantley, you know, that, that it was, it was not, it's not necessary for, for Tucker to have a big game to, to win every game, but, but it, it's sort of, you know, he, he's sort of been able to manage that and, and grow into a, 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 a pretty fearsome hitter. You mentioned Pena. What's changed for him because he had such the hot start. And then pitchers started throwing changeups at him, and you know they took advantage of that matchup because he's a rook, he's a young guy. Yep. But the last three weeks or so, he sure has seemed to have turned a corner, and he's made the adjustments back as well, and he's starting to hit the ball far better. Yeah, no, I think that's what it is. I think he came up, and and you know no one no one was terribly concerned about Jeremy Pena. You know they're, they're like you know I, I think a lot of maybe a lot of pitchers were like, okay, well, this dude is not Carlos Correa. So, so we can just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll just throw him whatever. And, and he, he smoked the ball early on and then the league started to figure him out. And now he's, you know, you, you see this fairly often, you know, the, the, you, he's making the adjustments to the adjustments and, and that's, that's, that's what you want to see if you're Dusty Baker. What do you make of Alvarez wanting to talk to the media earlier this week? I, I found that to be, I wasn't surprised by it, but uh, I liked it, right? It shows a young player, despite the language barrier, and despite not really being uh, a vocal kid, right? He's kind of reserved. The fact that he wanted to address the media about his health status, what do you make of that? No, it's good. I mean, because I, I think, you know, when it when it comes to Jordan, there is a narrative that when he is 100%, you know, he is – he is an, an MVP level level player. The problem is he's 100% about 40% of the time. Uh, and so first it was his knees and now it's his hand. And I think I think what that showed was was him wanting to sort of take retake control of the narrative. Uh, and and that's good. You know, that that, that shows that, you know, Jordan knows that, you know, if his hand is hurting, he's not he's not going to hit very well. But there's not a there's not a necessarily a better option, you know, that you for, for Dusty Baker to put someone else in the lineup and replace that kind of power. So, so no, it showed, I think it showed some leadership and it's, it showed some maturity. Uh, and that's, that's none, neither of those things are, are bad things. We're talking to someone who's always mature, James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast. He joins ish. us here. Mature ish <laughs> on RP3 and company. All right. Let's talk about this pitching staff because. Fremer Valdez is, well, I mean, it, uh, half of the league, Framer would be their number one, would be their yep. true ace. And he sure does feel like he's being groomed to be the ace whenever Verlander and the Astros part ways. And then they also have another young kid who's just come out and 
The show's not too big for him. I, I know hitters are going to make an adjustment on Brown. Eventually, that's how that works. But he sure does seem to have the attitude to handle being in the show. And the Astros always find these guys, and they always draft these guys and develop these guys that have the attitude and have the mindset to play in the big leagues. It's amazing how they are able to do that, their scouting department. But what do you make of what you're seeing out of Framer down the stretch with Verlander still on the mend and from the young man, Brown? I mean, for 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 Framber, you know, he's he. you're right. He, he would be the number one on, on an awful lot of teams. Um, and he's sort of been in, in Verlander's shadow just because of the, the Justin Verlander story and, you know, not really, you know, pitching one game since 2019 and coming back and, and having a, a Cy Young level season. I don't know that he'll, I don't know that he'll get the Cy Young. I, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, Tungsten Armo Doyle out in, out in, in, in Anaheim probably has the edge on that. Um, and, you know, missing the last couple of weeks, you know, that, you know, the, that might, you know, it, it cost him a, a shot at 20 wins. And for a lot of baseball writers, you know, that's a, that's a pretty magic number. Uh, but well, what Framer about is, Framer is though? Having, shouldn't, shouldn't Framer be considered for the Cy Young too? I think he should, he absolutely should be. <clears throat> and just because of, you know, the number of the quality starts in a row and, and just the, the way that he pitches and how his numbers have been, uh, he's, he's, I would say top three, um, top five for sure uh, in Cy Young. And so, you know, that's something I'm going to be looking at for the, I got to, I'm going to email my, my guy at the, at the Chronicle about that. So, so yeah, Hunter Brown, it's uh, on one hand, you want to be super excited and, and, and honestly, like good for him. Like, I mean, that was, that was a really cool scene to, to, to see him start in Detroit where he grew up, where he went to college uh, and, and, and have, you know, sort of a repeat performance of his, of his major league debut. On the other hand, let's not forget it. He, he's, he played, he, he had to pitch against the Rangers and the Tigers. Uh, and and some of the competition that he saw in Sugarland would probably be that, that probably felt very similar to him. <laughs> um, and so you know it's it's great to see. Uh, you know I I do I do hope that the Astros look, and I'm sure Jim Crane will uh, do whatever he can to to make sure that Verlander you know retires an Astro. But it's just another weapon, and you know the the, the Astros don't have the best farm system now with all the trades and then losing the draft picks. Uh, in the wake of the league-wide uh, cheating scandal that the Astros got scapegoated for, the um, but but yeah, no, you're right. They just kind of find these guys, and you know, it's just another. You, you kind of look and see who's pitching. Like, who is this guy? Oh, he struck out 150 guys in 120 innings at AAA. Okay, uh, let's slot him into the rotation and watch him dominate. So it's it's a it is a credit to the front office with given the limitations that they've that they've had. Middle of September now, brother. Do you have any concerns still whatsoever with this team in any regard? Um, I mean, it's the it's the concern that that you would take from from 2019 and 2021. Uh, you know, what are are you going to have a is are you going to have a bad week to have a bad week and and you find your season over? Um, you know, it, it would it would take. I I I don't know that. Of course, the postseason is is guaranteed. It is guaranteed that the Astros will go to the postseason. Now it's now you get into crapshoot time and sort of roll of the dice time. And and you know the 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 major concern is you know what happens if you forget how to hit for three days, uh, and and suddenly you're going from playing the Rangers and the Tigers and the A's in a row to all right they, no these are the big boys you know this is you know this is the Rays this is Seattle I guess 
the Yankees, the Dodgers, whoever whoever it might be. But the, you know the, the 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 concern they've done what they what they've had to do so far. Now the the concern is can they finish it off? Who in the American League presents the biggest challenge, the biggest threat in your opinion? to the Strohs is it one of those wild card teams like Tampa Toronto or Seattle is it the Yankees who is it it's probably the Yankees uh just because of of the history and, and you know that you know the, the the Astros have have been sort of the the thorn in the Yankees side since since 2015 and and we're and, you know we're not talking about you know a, a one game playoff or or you know, one short series. I mean, we're, we're talking for the better part of a decade. It's been, it's been the Astros that have knocked the Yankees out. Um, so it's knowing how amped up that Yankee stadium crowd, but also that minute made park crowd uh, is going to be, you know, the, the Yankees hadn't been smacked in the mouth in the, during this season and until it came time to play Houston and then they got smacked in the mouth. So that's probably just from an emotional standpoint, uh, and, and, you know, you talk about the electricity of a crowd. I'm not worried about the electricity of a Tampa Bay crowd. Um, the, you know, and, and, you know, maybe the Mariners with it, you know, they're going to go to the playoffs for the first time since 2001. Um, you know, but as far as like on the field, who's the biggest threat, probably, probably New York. I just like to point out to you that they're still managed by Aaron Boone. Just saying that's, that's, that's an X factor. <laughs> just saying if, if, if it's a playoff series I trust Dusty Baker far more than I do Aaron Boone <laughs> I wouldn't trust Aaron Boone to build to build me a Lego Millennium Falcon <laughs> I much less bug manage me in the playoffs <laughs> uh brother tell the people when you, you guys are dropping the next episode of the Lima Time Time podcast and where they can go to get it well uh, we recorded last night so we we did talk a little bit about the Yankees uh and so it was a fun episode. I, there was a lot going on uh, outside of baseball this week. And so it was, it was fun to have kind of something else to think about for a little bit. So Spotify, uh, the app, Apple, whatever they call it. I think it's called a podcast. So just, yeah, wherever you get it, your podcast, you'll look for Lima time time and you'll see it. James, appreciate your time, brother. Enjoy your day and have a tremendous weekend. We'll talk to you next Friday, bud. Y'all have a good one. We'll re- we'll recap the queen's funeral next week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, that's James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast. And, of course, a contributor to the Houston Chronicle. Hey, a reminder. My friends over at Laugh-In Marble and Granite. Did you know that they offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana? And they appreciate the opportunity to be able to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. LMG also has now an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right, you heard me. No muss, no fuss, no odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. To learn more about all the sensational services and great products that they have to offer, live inventory, guess what? Updated every single Wednesday. Visit LMGElite.com today, or you know what? Stop by their showroom. It's soon to be fully renovated, located right there on I-49 North, across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, 
earn it, they will. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update the poll question of the day. It's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Camara bobbles it at the 20. He reels it in and he's got the ball. What a catch by Camara. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the NFL. The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and it's just getting started. Time to get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Do you want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. And if your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you're going to get paid instantly, even if your team loses. What? Even if your team loses, you're still going to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. You must be 21 years of age to play. Physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus is going to be issued as a free bet. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner is Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you got a gambling problem, or you know what? Know someone that does. Call 1-877-770-STOP. Coming up in about six minutes from right now, we got a treat for you. Former LSU star, a starter on the very first national championship team at LSU for Skip Bertman. We go on to play in the big leagues for a decade, a Major League Baseball all-star, and will be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame next summer. Paul Bird will be joining us for a great conversation. That's coming up. But while we have a few minutes, let's check in on the poll question of the day. That's what I'm being told to do by highly energetic and positive Miss Hannah Five Names. Who do you got for Sunday's game in the Dome? Once again, Saints have defeated the Buccaneers seven straight times in the regular season. They have owned Tom Brady no one gets more pressure on him. No one frustrates him more during the regular season than the black and gold. The game's going to be at home. First home game of the season. Caesar Superdome should be rocking. But does last week's game give you pause? Does it make you go, eh? How the line of scrimmage was won by Atlanta for three-plus quarters. The defensive line didn't get pressure. The defensive line didn't look well against the run. By the way, Tampa Bay has Leonard Fournette. He is a bad man. Also for the Saints, we don't know. Alvin Kamara could be not playing in Sunday's game. 
Uh-oh. Going to have more Mark Ingram, Tony Jones Jr., and Latavius Murray. Two of those guys are kind of washed up. <laughs> Offensive line didn't play great in the opener. <laughs> Just say it. Just say it. 78% of you believe the Saints are going to win Sunday's game. 22% say the, the Buccaneers. Brad says, Saints going to light up Brady's grill and have a barbecue in the backfield. Who that? Shout out to Brad. Man, came with the good energy today on a Friday. Ralph Bergeron on Twitter says, Giselle B here. Saints D, please don't touch Tommy. During his away time, he had a tummy tuck butt lift Botox and tried to help Brett Favre build a new volleyball court. Here's a little, he's a little fragile right now and don't call him Mr. Buchin. That offends him. <laughs> Here's the thing. As great as Tom Brady is, as you know, they consider him to be the goat, right? The man's never going to be a big of a star as his wife ever. He can win three more Super Bowls it does not matter. <laughs> On a global scale, it's still Giselle and will always be Giselle. Ralph has chimed in. Get to Brady with only four. No blitzing. When you blitz is when he'll hurt you. Have to be solid in run gaps and tackle better on Fournette. Saints have struggled to run versus Tampa Bay. That they have. Need to establish tempo and spread the ball around like the last 11 minutes last week. And with a positive gift from the water boy, you can do it. You can do it. Pula says, hey, good morning, guys. Good morning to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Hannah, five names, and I will make our predictions for the weekend at the very end of today's show. And we also may display some cheerleading moves that she's been working on during this actual segment. We got to take a time out when we return here on RP3 and company. Paul Berg, LSU baseball legend, national champion, Major League Baseball All-Star, and soon-to-be Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer is going to join us here on the program. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. It takes immense effort. Patience, dedication, hard work. You pick a word out of the dictionary and it applies if you're going to make it to the show. And if you're going to make it to the show and then succeed and be a star, an all-star, if you will, in Major League Baseball. But our next guest did exactly that. Born in Louisville, Kentucky. But he would make his way down to Baton Rouge. That's right playing for the legendary Skip Bertman, helping the LSU Tigers claim the 1991 College World Series championship. He was originally drafted in the fourth round of the MLB draft by the Indians. He would spend five years in the minor leagues, grinding it away, perfecting his craft, before being traded to the Mets and making his major league debut in 1995. He would play for the Mets, the Braves, the Phillies, Royals, Angels, Indians, and Red Sox, in a lengthy career that saw him record 109 wins, striking out nearly 1,000 batters and earning all-star recognition in 1999 when he was a member of the Phillies. He now works as part 
of the broadcast for the Atlanta Braves organization, those games on Valley Sports Southeast. He's also going to be inducted into the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame next summer in Natchitoches. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and Company the LSU pitching legend and Major League Baseball All-Star, Paul Bird. Paul, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm doing even better after that introduction. I'm not sure I can live up to that, but I appreciate that. I always considered myself a grinder. So, you know, when you guys say, hey, Sports Hall of Fame for the whole entire state of Louisiana, that blows my mind. And, you know, I've been walking around on the air the last couple of days after hearing the news. Well, brother, congratulations. Well deserved. I'm glad that we're going to have you in our Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame next summer. Let's talk about your journey, how you ended up at LSU playing for Skip Burtman, the legend, and helping that team win a national championship. Uh, walk us through back that story. Well, um, I had my hopes set high, and I watched the College World Series when I was a little kid. So I put a few names on my list, and I really wanted to go there. And I had a baseball coach in high school said, don't go play for one of those big schools because you'll never get to play. You know, pick a small school in Kentucky where you'll get to pitch because you're not that big and you don't throw that hard. And I just took a chance. So went to LSU. Uh, Coach Bertman talked me into going there in 10 minutes. I say he's like Hannibal Lecter. You know, he can talk into swallowing your own tongue. He's like this unbelievable motivator and recruiter. So I ended up there and, um, you know, started to get the pitch as a freshman, got some confidence, figured out, hey, I belong here and did well at LSU. And I'm just so thankful for my time in Louisiana. I met my wife there. I found my faith there. I had just a lot of great things that were integral in my part of my life today. Um, lived in New Orleans, lived in Baton Rouge, you know, so it's just been one of those things that um, been really, really special for me. My wife's from New Orleans. All of her family is going nuts. My family in Kentucky, it's a big deal. So that was my journey in LSU, obviously the most important stop. Every guy that I've spoken with that played for Skip, whether that's our good friend Ronnie Rance or Todd Walker or Ben McDonald or Russ Springer, it doesn't matter. They all have a Skip story. I got to put you on the spot, brother. What's your favorite <laughs> Now, remember, it's got to be, you know, uh, censored for uh, public radio. But what's your favorite Skip story of yours? Uh, my, my favorite, I mean, my favorite Skip story, I think, will always be the speech he gave when we were playing Texas A&M. When Texas A&M was 55-5, and five, they had Chuck Knobloch, John Byington, some other really great players. And you looked at these guys' stats, and, man, it was like this is unbeatable. Like all their pitchers were, you know, twelve and zero or thirteen and one, and it was just insane. They'd only lost five games. We're at their place. They're selling out. They're throwing rocks at us when we're warming up. Randy Davis, late great pitching coach who I respect and love so much, just passed. He got hit with a rock in the head. He's bleeding. Ben McDonald's trying to warm up all that. I mean, this is the most intimidating thing ever. Early in that day, we had no sleep. We had to make it through the losers bracket. And Coach Burtman calls and wakes us up, and it's 8 in the morning. And he brings us down to the ballroom, and we're like, why are we here? Like, we need our sleep. What are you doing, Coach? We have a doubleheader against the best team in the country, and all of our arms are fried. You know, and he said, get some coffee in you. And he started going through this speech. 
and that's when he gave the speech. Guys, Texas A&M is a scam, see? And he started going through this lineup, and he said they played nobody. And, you know, we're like, okay, that's interesting. And then he started to continue on, you know, and he just said, the guy, the, the team that wins the first game of the doubleheader 62% of the time wins the doubleheader. And we got Ben McDonald on game one. And he said, I'm going to take him out, put him in left field. And then I'm going to bring him back in if I need him to win that game or I can close out the next game with it. So we, the odds are in our favor. He started going through all this stuff. We started getting excited and all this. And he closed the speech with, you know, I don't want to just beat these guys because they were just brutal towards us. They would show up at games they weren't even playing against us and cheer against us, Texas A&M. Again, we were the only team in that bracket that could beat them. And he finished it with, you know, I want to capture their women and bring them back to Baton Rouge. We all started laughing. And then we started, like, throwing chairs, and he started laughing. And it was like we started hugging and coming together and high-fiving. And, you know, it was just really, really a great thing to be a part of. And, I mean, it was like we were going into war. And we took that field, and we beat them. And when we beat them, man, it was one of the best moments of my life. And it happened just the way he said. Ben started. We got a lead. He moved him into, you know, left field. And when we celebrated and tackled, like, man, I'm going to Omaha. Like the little kid that grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, watching the College World Series is going to Omaha. And, you know, that was that was my one of my favorite moments at LSU, even, you know, right there with winning the national championship two years later was just what coach Burtman did and his speech. And this is really cool. The Texas A&M fans, when we beat them, uh, they all stood and clapped. I mean, for 10 minutes as we celebrated, cause it was such a good series and uh, such a good feeling. So, um, yeah, one of my best memories of my life. I'll always have it with me. You settled in quite nicely there at LSU, and then you you would go on to have just not a good career, Paul, a dominant career. I mean, as it stands right now, you still rank in the top five in pitching wins with 31, strikeouts with 319, and you did it only in three seasons. You still hold the school record for victories in a season when you had 17 in 1990 when you went 17-6 and overall pitching 140 innings. They don't let guys pitch that way anymore, by the way, Paul. Right, right. <laughs> Including six complete games. Um, you know, how soon in the process of being part of the team and being part of that culture did you feel comfortable and did you know that you could really be a great college pitcher? Man, um, early on when I got there, you know, Ben McDonald's throwing, a, you know, the legend, right? Throwing 100 with a big hammer. But then I looked at other guys, Springer threw really hard, some other guys, but I was like, you know, I had a good curveball and uh, I didn't have a good ERA in the fall. Like, I, I just, I didn't miss a ton of bats, but I was, you know, I'm hanging in there. And um, we were at the Baton Rouge Kids Clinic which is a free clinic that we put on uh, in Baton Rouge for, for anybody in the state of Louisiana, and kids were getting my autographs. And um, 
I was signing, and Randy Davis was signing next to me. And Randy Davis said to one of the kids, make sure you get this guy's autograph. Coach Burtman says he's going to pitch in the big league someday. And I was like, you know, I looked over at him, and he nodded at me. And I was like, man, he's serious. That was a big boost for me because Burtman coming from Miami and then being there at LSU for, you know, four or five years, he's seen a lot of good pitchers. And when he said that to me, um, man, my shoulders went back and I signed my autograph and I'm like, okay, not only can this, you know, little kid with a, you know, long blonde mullet who, you know, is not the tallest or not the hardest thrower, you know, compete up here, but the coach thinks I'm going to pitch in the big leagues. Um, that was a big deal for me. And I think that was, you know, you can tell by me telling the story, it's a significant part of my journey. All you need is one person to believe in you. And if that person has authority and knows what they're doing, even better, it goes through the roof. It's one thing for your mom to believe in you. It's another thing for one of the best coaches in the country, you know, gold medal winner to believe in you. That's a big deal. We got to take a time out here on RP3 and company more with our conversation with LSU legend, Major League Baseball All-Star, and soon-to-be Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Paul Bird's coming up after this. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We're talking with famed LSU national championship winning pitcher, a Major League Baseball All-Star, and a soon-to-be Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Paul Bird joins us here on RP3 and Company. Paul, let me ask you, you guys, you have that great season in 90, and then comes 91, and you were a strikeout machine. You struck out 116 batters that season in 102 innings. You were 8-3 and three overall. You had the great semifinal win against Florida, and then you were a part of the team, the first one, the team that yeah. kicked off the dynasty run in the 90s, the very first national championship team for baseball at LSU. What does that mean to you even all these years later to be a guy on that squad? Oh, man, it's it's just huge, huge for me. Uh, I didn't have a good junior year. I tried to throw as hard as I could every pitch. That's why I struck out a lot of guys because um, I wanted to get drafted high. You know, I was preseason supposed to go in the first round. So I was trying to make everybody right, the scouts right, and, you know, to get drafted, they want to see that radar gun light up. So I overthrew. But down the stretch, I was real proud of us as a team because we came together and we kind of stopped worrying about individual successes and we really came together like, let's do this. And I pitched well down the stretch in the big games. That felt really good to me. Um, I have a – World Series championship ring with the Braves as a broadcaster, and that means a lot to me that they considered me part of the team and gave me that ring. That's just unreal. But I didn't throw any pitches. Yeah, I didn't throw any sliders. I didn't throw any high fastballs. Um, so that LSU ring, you know, when I look at it or put it on, I'm like, man, we're number one. We were the first of a storied program. We did what we set out we were going to do again as a little kid watching the College World Series. Um, that was a huge deal for me. So when we tackled and jumped on each other, and, you know, now we all text and talk about the new teams and what those guys are doing, you know, I'm part of a family. And to be the first one to win a national championship in that family and be a part of it and throw some pitches 
to help win that ring, you know, something that I'll have the rest of my life. You get drafted, you begin your process to get to the show, but for so many guys, it is a grind. It takes years. What yeah. was the biggest thing for you that you had to learn, How uh, what you had to master, rather, for you to be able to get to the show? And once you got there, you stayed, but it took you a little while to get there. What was the big hurdle for you? Um, again, it was just I, I didn't pass the eye test. Um, you know, I had good numbers in the minor leagues, but I didn't throw that hard. So what I was told was people don't think you can get guys out at the next level. And um, so I'm pitching in. I get traded to the Mets from the Indians, and my pitching coach was Bob Apodaca, and he wasn't a very big guy. And he didn't care about how hard you threw. He's like, it doesn't matter. He's like, you just got to get out. And that, that, that meant a lot to me. Like, okay, um, you know, I've got a chance. I just got to get out so I can do that. And uh, a guy, Bloss Minor, got injured um, at our big league level, and, and they picked me. Uh, and so I went up and, and had a really good first year, um, you know, in the big leagues, pitched some significant innings, setting up for John Franco for the Mets. And, you know, I, I don't know what they really expected, but they're like, hey, we're going to give him a chance. And so at the end of the year, um, you know, I stayed. And that was a big deal. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't ever easy for me. It was always a grind. It was always a fight. That's why when you say Paul Bird Sports Hall of Fame, that hits a little differently for me because it was never easy. Like, it's a big deal for me. And my career was kind of that whole way. It was just a grinder. And then, you know, I blew my shoulder out and um, blew my elbow out and had to come back from those, and those weren't easy. And I lost a little bit of velocity coming back from my shoulder, which I didn't really have any to give or to lose. And um, had to get creative and reinvent myself and come up with a different delivery and swing my arms and do some unique things. So my career is not the greatest, um, you know, ever as a pitcher, but I'm real proud that I survived. And um, most guys that step on a major league field, um, this is a crazy stat, okay, but 96% of those guys uh, won't play longer than three years. So if you play longer than three years in the big leagues, it's a big deal. And um, the fact that I was just able to survive, I'm very proud of. And, um, you know, I'm also now, it's kind of cool that I survived a, a grind and a journey. And uh, looking back on it, I'm like, when the smoke's cleared, I'm like, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, I got to pitch against a lot of great players and be on a lot of great teams and learn a lot about a game that I'm very passionate about and always will be. Who was the best hitter you ever faced? And did Albert you? Pujols. Oh, you didn't even hesitate. <laughs> uh, yeah, the I didn't big... need any time, and I faced a lot of greats, Barry Bonds, you know, and threw against some of those guys with a bad shoulder and this and that. But like, I knew that Barry Bonds, if I threw him up and in, I could get him out. Mark McGuire, same thing. A Rod, same thing. So some incredible hitters. Jim Tomey was a great hitter. Do not miss up. Do not miss over the middle high. He will literally take you out of the stadium. But Pujols was the guy in our pitchers' meetings where we would say, hey, Albert, you know, you go through the players and people share info of how they've had success against them, you know, and it's different with each team. And he was the one guy that when we had our pitchers' meeting, and they would say, Albert Pujols. And it was just quiet. Like nobody had anything to say. And that was super intimidating because nobody really knew how to get him out. And what I mean is 
he's the guy that could hit the ball in, could hit the ball away, could hit the breaking ball, could hit the ball down, could hit the ball up. And so, you know, when everybody was quiet, you know, you could tell pitching coach would say, hey, don't walk him. He'll get out seven out of ten times. <laughs> Try to say something encouraging. But, you, you know, what you do against those guys is you just mix your pattern and you just hope you guess right because he was the one guy you didn't know, you know, you had no plan against. We'll wrap it up with this, Paul. You make the transition like so many people want to, so many players want to, to the broadcast booth, and you're you're yeah. calling Braves games. What was that transition like for you? Was it easy? Was it challenging? And uh, how rewarding is it to still stay connected to the game as a broadcaster? No, oh, it's fantastic. You know, I'm living the dream. I'm getting to talk about a kid's game that I love, you know, now in my 50s. Um, that's just a dream come true. I love it. Um, it was not an easy transition, and I've had to work on my craft as a broadcaster. Um, the greatest advice I've ever gotten, which is really, really simple, is be yourself and let your, your passion for the game come out. Um, especially with Twitter and social media, and you know this now, you know, we've all kind of figured it out now. You can't please everybody. You know, everybody's got something to say, and <clears throat> with everybody having a voice now on Twitter or whatever, social media or with whatever, you know, people are going to let you know what they don't like quickly. And it can make you intimidated or change or not speak up or not be yourself or not be your own brand. And I've had to learn in this game that just like as a pitcher, you got to discover your own brand. You got to stick with it. You got to work hard. You got to be yourself. And I tried to throw as hard as I could. I was trying to be like Ben McDonald and throw 100. When I tried to hit my spots, cut it, sink it, change it, I was being Paul Bird. That was my brand. Same thing in the booth. I'm not changing for anybody else. I'm a little different, a little quirky behind the mic, but I'm very passionate about baseball. I think that comes out. And, you know, I hope you like it. Paul, I liked, nope, I loved doing this interview. And uh, as a uh, lifelong Atlanta Braves fan growing up worshiping Dale Murphy, there may be, uh, I may be getting a picture with you come next summer and maybe an autograph, brother. I'm just letting you know. I'm just. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Southwest Louisiana has seen its fair share of legendary high school football coaches. And our next guest here on RP3 and Company deserves to be considered in that same light. 29 years as a head football coach at Port Sulphur and Port Berry, primarily spent with the Red Devils. He accumulated a 257 
to 93 win loss record. He led the Red Devils to the state quarterfinals seven times, the state semifinals three times, the state championship game inside the Superdome twice, including winning it all back in 2002. That's right. It's the 20th anniversary of the Port Berry State Championship team this season. It's our privilege to welcome to RP3 and company, the coaching legend, the Red Devil himself, Coach Donnie Perron. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good, Raymond. Good to be with you. Appreciate you making the time, man. Uh, it's been 20 years. Does it feel like it's been 20 years by any chance? Definitely not. Time flies. You know, we, we had, had a good run, you know, for a long time and, uh, culminated in you know that 202 state championship uh, so a lot of excitement back then and uh brings back great memories and uh we pulled in five red devils to to make a comeback well let's talk about that you take over the program back in 1978 and it wasn't necessarily you know a great amount of success right off the bat right i mean your first season if i remember two and eight three and seven the year two you finally get a winning record in year three in 1980 but then you have a couple of down seasons and then things started really kind of rolling there in the early 80s well it, it wasn't a, an easy or a smooth start to, to speak of at all you know came in at a bad time the season had actually started it was uh, in september they didn't have a coach and i came from port Zalfa. and uh so the first year was was a struggle just you know getting things lined up having a uh, teaching schedule trying to you know replace some coaches that had left and uh we made some progress though you know even though the kids didn't have a chance to have a, a true spring or august practice and uh after that year, we started uh, implementing, you know, more of a weight room and uh, able to get some coaches to come in. Uh, probably at that time, the biggest thing was to get Coach uh, Bruce Broussard. He had been there prior to, and then he left and went to Bazile as a head coach, and he wanted to come back. So he came in as assistant in charge of my offense, and uh, he stayed with me for over 20 years, you know, so he was a, a great addition. And, uh that year we went eight and two. Unfortunately, we didn't get in the playoffs because at that time it wasn't automatic that you'd get in. Uh, there was no PowerPoints or anything like that. So we were third place and we didn't get to go, but we played in the Oil Bowl in Lafayette. So that was a little boost to the program in 80. And then uh, after that, uh, again, you know, working our weight room, our offseason, things started. Uh, fitting into place and uh we had a really good run there and picked up some more coaches along let some great coaches come in you know bill duplichan earl heights jay stelly uh doug dots and i can name a, a bunch of them that that came in and really helped the program you guys have the breakout year in 84 when you go 11-2 and two overall, finished as district runner-up. You go all the way to the state quarterfinals, losing to John Curtis right when they're starting to ramp up their kind of dynasty. What do you remember most from that 84 season, which served as a kind of a breakthrough for you and your staff in the school? Oh, that definitely was. <clears throat> we uh, we were kind of a sleeper in there. We, we got in the playoffs, and uh, we had to go play the number two team in the state, E.D. White. And uh, we beat them like 34 to 14. Everything we did turned out great. And uh, that kind of, you know, got our name out there and got a lot of confidence in the program. And people were excited. And that, that was probably the season in the game that got us rolling, you know, uh, to speak of getting in playoffs and making big runs. 
You're making big runs. You're starting winning essentially double-digit games nearly every season, and you're getting to the playoffs, but you're just coming up just short of making it to the state championship round. Then you guys kind of break through again. The second breakthrough, Coach, was 1997. 13-1 overall, 5-0 and in district play, district champs. You make it all the way to the state semifinals for the first time ever, losing to Oak Grove. Yeah, that was a heartbreaker there. It was a home game, and uh, we had a, a nice lead. We had a, a 16, 15, 15 point lead in the fourth quarter with seven minutes left. And uh, basically, we just had to, you know, run the clock out. And uh, our running back, Jerome Pigney, had cramps, and he was on the sideline, and, and we just couldn't make a, a first down. And then defensively, we uh, they had some mismatches. They had a tall, wide receiver, and we had a like a five foot seven. And they went twice to him and, and scored, and unfortunately made the two point conversion both times. So it, it was like a, a dag in the heart. Our people were thinking they were going to New Orleans the next week, and uh, it, it was a devastating loss. But it was a great season, you know. Other than that, that final loss. We're talking with famed Port Berry State Championship winning football coach Donnie Perron. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Coach, let's talk about you guys finally breaking through and getting to the Superdome, playing for a state championship. Of course, that was 1999. The prior year, you guys went 11 and 1, 5 and 0 in district. You lost in the regionals. The next year, you guys went 13 and 2 overall, 7 and 0 in district, and made it to the state finals for the first time in school history, losing to Iota in the Superdome. What do you you remember most from that experience of getting the team finally to play for a state championship that's probably the, the greatest thing you know a high school team in louisiana can accomplish is to get to the superdome and play in the finals it's such a excitement for the, the whole community not only the players and the parents but the whole community and surrounding areas and it was uh, a great experience for our kids and uh, the whole the whole community and the area and uh, unfortunately, we, we met up with uh, Iota, who was a really good running team, had this boy named Jason Mill, and he, he pretty much pounded the ball down the field and we had a hard time stopping And We came up short. Uh, we had uh, a good ball club. We had some freshmen playing. And uh, one of our freshmen, <laughs> Daniel Francis, who was senior year, uh, went back to the Dome, and he eventually went to LSU on a scholarship. But his shoe came off <clears throat> receiving the kickoff on the, the one-yard line. And uh, it was kind of ironic because three years later we make it back and uh, he's the MVP of the game, you know. So it, it was uh, a memorable experience for the kids to get there, but it was beneficial because when we went back, some of the same kids were playing and uh, we had a little redemption that year. But just going the first time is, is – uh, really exciting and a pleasant experience for our players and, and fans and parents for sure. A few years later, you get to taste victory inside the Superdome. There, 2002, perfect season, Coach. 14-0, 5-0 in district. You win the Class 2A state championship, beating Iota this time around 26-7 to to claim the championship before the start of the season. Did you know you had something special? Did you feel like this was a team that could make a championship run? Or was there a moment during the season where you thought back as a veteran coach going, look, we got we got something here. We got a title team here. We had that feeling. You know, we, we had experience coming back. And uh, 
quite a bit of seniors with experience and and the team had so much speed you know we had team speed we had some great uh skilled people and uh it was a good run and we kind of felt like we could we could run the table which is hard to do you know but uh we were able to do it and, and it was a great experience for our school and our kids after the 2004 season, Coach, you decided to kind of step away. What was kind of your thinking there, and uh, why did you decide that after so long, after, you know, 20-plus years, that it was time for you to step away as the head coach of the Port Berry Red Devils? I guess at some point you get, you know, you just kind of feel burnt out. You know, you, you're tired. Uh, I, I love my job. That was the best part of my career was, was coaching there at Port Berry, and uh the, the fact that I was able to stay in athletics, you know, and move to the central office, the parish AD was probably uh, the only job I'd have left for at that time, you know. So it was kind of like something happening at the right time in my, my my life and my career. So I was able to do that. And uh, unfortunately, I, I hated leaving coaching, but uh, I felt like it was an opportunity at the right time. We're talking with Port Berry, legendary football coach. Donnie Perron, he joins us here on RP3 and Company, kind of taking a trip down memory lane. This is the season that is celebrating the 20th anniversary of Port Berry's Lone State Championship that occurred back there in 2002. I want to talk about some of your favorite moments. And, you know, let's go back if you don't mind, Coach. You had, a, uh, you know, a couple great ones, obviously winning the state championship and losing some of those tough games like you did to Oak Grove and others, but what about Port Berry meeting the old Manning boys back there in the early 90s? You guys were able to square off, I do believe, against uh, in Newman. Uh, what can you tell us? What can, what's kind of a recollection there facing off against the, the Mannings? That was also a, a good experience. Uh, you know, back then, the Peyton, uh, the Manning boys, you know, weren't famous. It was basically the dad, you know, he had, you know, played at, at Ole Miss and played for the Saints, and uh, we just knew he had a son, a couple of sons playing. And uh, it was it was kind of, you know, naturally it was a good trip to go to New Orleans to bring our kids up there and uh, spend some time in New Orleans. And they had a beautiful facility. They wanted the, the first, I guess, to have the, uh, the turf field at that time. And um, we felt like we could match up pretty well with them. Uh, of course, they had Cooper Manning. The older brother was to receive, and Peyton was a sophomore at the time. And uh, we had a you know naturally a tough time stopping that combination. So they they handed us a, a defeat. You know, uh, we played fairly well, but we we couldn't compete and, and stop their their passing game naturally. But it was really a good experience. Uh, said a beautiful facility. Archie Manning was just. Uh, so gracious he'd come around in the stands and meet our, our spectators our parents and shake hands and after the ball game they invited the whole team and the parents to the cafeteria to have uh, refreshments after and food so it was really a good experience and uh, perhaps something we'll never forget after that with the boys being so famous and the pros and all it made it even more memorable you coached a lot of really talented players in your legendary career, Coach. Got to meet one of them last week at the Port Berry Beauchamp football game, and that was Marvin White. Got to be introduced to him, talked to him a little bit. He was there to support his alma mater. Uh, what do you remember about Marvin, and just how good was he for those who maybe didn't have a chance to see him in person? Marvin was probably the hardest hitter we ever had. You know, he was uh, 
he was just a terror on defense. He loved to hit, and uh, he was a real competitor. He played both ways, and you put him along with Daniel Francis, that dude, Olivier, that was three of the most talented uh, football players in, in the parish, you know, and uh, all, all of them had speed, and they were all-round athletes. So Marvin had a great career. You know, he went to junior college, Texas, then he went to TCU, and then he went to the Bengals for, I think, four years and maybe a little Canadian ball. So he had a great, great uh, career as a, a you know, high school player, college, and pros. Um, so, you know, it, it was nice coaching those guys. And Daniel Francis, who played at LSU on the same team, I see him periodically. You know, he's actually helping him coach at Beauchamp right now. He's, you know, a non-faculty coach, but he, he's coached some at Port Barry. Now he's at, at Beauchamp. So local boys stayed local, and they're doing well. He also coached both Davises. William and Tyrone. Tell me about the Davis boys. Uh, that that group is something else. Probably the most talented family, you know, able to coach. You know, uh, <clears throat> uh, Tyrone. Tyrone was such a, a great competitor, and he probably did more for our program than individually. Just not only by his play, but uh, his his attitude, positive attitude, got along with everybody, and. Uh, Everybody loved Tyrone, you know. So he he was probably the the face of our program back in those those four years that he played. And William, his his younger brother, uh, probably the most gifted all around athlete we had. You know, he had a great career basketball. Went to the top twenty. You know, was all state the return man and offensive player. Played at Magnese for four years. That still have records over there. So. Those were, uh, and the older brother was a great basketball player, and the younger brother was probably, he, he unfortunately is deceased now, but he, he was a fantastic basketball player. And uh, as as a high school player and a youth player, you know, played all over the country. But like I said, probably the most talented uh, athlete, athletic family that we had in Port Barry at the time. Now, Coach, we'll wrap it up with this. You've been very gracious with your time, and I appreciate you going down memory lane here, talking about all the great players and the great teams that you had there at Port Barry High School. But i got to ask you about one player in particular. He is known as Mr. LSUE these days. And, of course, you know who I'm talking about, the great wide receiver defensive back of Port Barry history, the one and only Mr. Chad Jones. He's going to kill me for saying that. But um, what, what, what do you remember about Chad, all honestly? What? Oh yeah, he 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 was both a grinder and and a competitor. You know, he was a wide receiver, DB, and uh, he graduated the same time as my daughter. And uh, Chad comes from a great family. His daddy was the uh, principal at elementary, and his his mother was a teacher there. So uh, they still live in the community. Uh, Chad does. You know, his his parents are deceased, but uh, great family and a great individual. Much better person and he was a player and he was a good player so we love Chad and uh, uh, very proud of what he's doing in his career coach appreciate your time as always brother thank you so much for doing this and I know you're still supportive of the Red Devils and I know you're going to be cheering them on and I know you're confident that things are going to be turning around there with the program thank you so much of your time bud well I appreciate it and thanks for covering uh, high school football we appreciate that Port Barry, legendary football coach, the man who led the Red Devils to their only state championship win, 
20 years ago this season. Donnie Perron joining us there. Appreciate Coach for his time. Hey, make sure to join me later on today. That's right, RP3. I'm going to be at Cigar Merchant at 1001 Coolidge in the Oil Center from noon to 1. Why? Because the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, we want to hook you up with tickets for LSU football and Louisiana Raging Cajun football. You can come by, hang out with me, spin our prize wheel. That's right, the legendary prize wheel that made its debut at our birthday bash earlier this summer. And you can win tickets for Raging Cajuns and for the Tiger football games. Just swing by the Cigar Merchant once again at 10.01 Coolidge in the Oil Center today from 12 to 1 o'clock. That way you can score yourself some tickets. We may have some koozies. We may have some shirts. And plus, you can just come hang out with your boy, RP3. We got to take a time out. More RP3 and company coming up on this Friday edition of the show. Getting you ready for the weekend right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Head over to Acadiana Bar and Grill at 327 Iberia Street in Youngsville this Saturday and hang with the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Hannah Five Names, that's right, the producer extraordinaire. She's going to be there from noon to 1 giving away tickets for both Raging Cajuns football and LSU football games. Swing by to register, hang with Hannah, Spin our prize wheel, it's becoming famous, and score a pair of tickets to either a Raging Cajuns football game or an LSU football game. So hang out with Hannah Five Names this Saturday from noon to 1 at Acadiana Bar and Grill. Right now it's time for us to hang out with Zach Miller, former RP3 and company fantasy football league champion and our go-to fantasy football expert. Brother, how did you fare in week one in all the 17 different leagues you play in? Uh, five and two. Uh, so even though I started zero and one in the RP three and company uh, league, all in all, it wasn't a, a terrible uh, week one. Is it terrible to have someone else tell you exactly how to draft your team and then help set up your lineup throughout the season? Sh- should you be able to take credit for that, or should you be more transparent and let everyone know that in fact someone else is treating you like a puppet when it comes to fantasy football? That seems very pointed. Um, I'm going to steer clear of answering that question. Um, I will say this. Everybody has to, you know, look to someone else for advice. Now, the only thing I'd question is if these two people you may be talking about have an ongoing trading relationship where it's lopsided. Let's just keep an eye on that. But other than that, uh, no, I'm I'm not going to go there. Let's get right to it, brother. Obviously, uh, lots of impact players played in last night's game, so we can't really uh, dwell on that, whether it's Mahomes or Herbert or Williams or whoever it may be. But let's look at this weekend. Quarterback, who are you starting? Who are you sitting? Okay, so Kirk Cousins is such a strong start this week. He's one of those guys who, depending on the matchup, you may or may not want to start him. But, I mean, considering what he did to Green Bay's defense last week, and this week he gets an Eagles secondary that couldn't stop the Lions, uh, give me Kirk Cousins this week. I'm all in. Um, another guy who's probably a streaming option, depending on matchups, Jameis Winston. This week I'm, I'm not really going there. Uh, Tampa Bay is a different animal than the Atlanta secondary. Um, so if you have another starting option, which most people will, uh, it's not really a good week to start Jameis Winston. Let's go to running back, bud. Who is a must-start for you and who's a must-sit? 
somebody like a Chase Edmonds, uh, he's going to be a volume-based play. We weren't really sure how that Miami um, workload was going to be distributed. You got to see that last week. He had, he had the lion's share of the work, and he's going to get a lot of options out of the backfield more you know, as a pass catcher against that Baltimore defense. But Chase Edmonds is a really strong start this week. Um, and somebody who flashed in week one, uh, Brees Hall hasn't really taken control of that situation yet. Michael Carter seemed to be the lead back. But this week I'm steering clear of that because the Browns did a number on CMC last week. So either one of the Jets running backs this week, honestly, isn't a very strong start. Let's head over to wide receiver. Oh, man, Justin Jefferson put on a show in week number one. Obviously, he's going to be a must start in any league. But give me some guys that are maybe on the fringe that you would be starting and a guy that you would be sitting this week based on the matchups. Well, let's stick with that same game you were just talking about. Obviously, you're starting Jefferson, but also Adam Thielen because Darius Slay is a talented cornerback, but he's going to be locked up on Jefferson this week. So Adam Thielen is going to be the beneficiary of that. Uh, he's also a very strong start along with Kirk Cousins this week against that Eagles secondary. Um, somebody like Rashad Bateman, he didn't have a really good week last week outside of a long touchdown that he got at the end of the game that kind of made his game look better than it really was. And this week he's going against Xavier Howard for the Dolphins. Um, I don't expect Xavier Howard to give up a big play like uh, Bateman got last week, so I'm going to fade him this week. Let's go down to the tight end position. Always key, can help you win your matchup if you have a guy really go off, and it can hurt you if you have a guy that you know performs like a donkey. So who's starting and who's sitting for you? So it looks like in Pittsburgh, Pat Fryermuth is going to be a check down valve for Trubisky all season, as long as Trubisky is the starter, that is. Um, so he seems to be a safety valve, and he's just going to get those – volume-based starts until, you know, the quarterback changes in Pittsburgh and we see how that goes. But this week he's a very strong option uh, if you need a, a streaming tight end. And somebody like a Dawson Knox, who's going to be a top-10 tight end at the end of the season, I, I don't doubt that. But as of right now, there's just so many receiving options in Buffalo. And Tennessee defends the tight end position pretty well. Um, so I'm going to sit Dawson Knox if I have another option. All right, bud. Flex most leagues. You can play running back, wide receiver, or tight end now these days in that flex position, especially the way the NFL has evolved with the tight end position being essentially a glorified wide receiver. So give me a must-start in the flex and a must-sit in the flex. So I'm going to keep an eye on the the Cincinnati situation. If T. Higgins sits, um, Tyler Boyd is absolutely a must-start in that position. Also, I'm going to keep an eye on that Tampa Bay situation. If Godwin's out, Julio is obviously a must-start. But somebody that I'm going to sit, um, Christian Kirk, he, he had a, a great week one, and I, I think he's going to do great in that Jacksonville offense. Um, but Indi Indianapolis is a lot easier to run against than pass against. Uh, so I have a feeling that those Jacksonville running backs may have a better week than the receivers. All right, bud, one more, and then we'll get you out of here. You know, any what, what's the advice for guys? Because a lot of times people have knee-jerk reactions based on what happens in week one. If a quarterback has a terrible game or a wide receiver has a terrible game, they make a move, they drop them, or they try to trade them and everything like that. What's the rule of thumb for someone who's a veteran fantasy football player like yourself? Is it just to be patient and just wait? 
yeah, you don't want to hit the panic button. Like like Matt Matt Stafford, he had a horrible week one. I expect him to bounce back. A lot of these guys, if you drafted them expecting them to be a stud and they had a, a very poor week one, don't hit the panic button. Um, you don't even necessarily need to bench them right away. Um, just trust the process. Trust your instincts. Um, now, if you took a flyer on somebody late and was hoping that they hit and then they haven't really done anything yet, like a George Pickens or somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, you may want to just keep those guys on the bench or maybe even look another direction on the waiver wires. But if it's one of those people you expect it to be one of your locked in starters every week, Allen Robinson, somebody like that, don't hit the panic button. Just trust the process. Trust the process. Trust Zach Miller. That's the words I live by brother. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. Enjoy your weekend, bud. You too, brother. Hopefully you're one and one next time we talk. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. That's <laughs> Zach Miller, RP3 and Company's fantasy football expert, joining us here on the show. We got to take a timeout. When we return, TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast will join us. Preview Bucks Saints on the Big Easy Blitz. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home. For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara. Breaks through. Spins at the two. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz. Here on RP3 and Company. Saints Bucks. The Houdats own the... Dull-colored Pirates. I don't understand their color scheme, by the way. Have won seven straight against Tampa Bay. Have beaten Tom Brady every regular season matchup. But, of course, the Bucs got the better of the Saints in the postseason. Bucks come to town to take on the Saints inside the Caesar Superdome on Sunday. To break it all down for us is the man behind the State of the Saints podcast, our good friend T.J. Jones. T.J., good morning to you, brother. How you feeling today, bud? Hey, Ray, how you doing, man? Glad to be with you. Quickly, before we look ahead at the matchup, um, what did we witness for three quarters? And then what did we witness in the final quarter last week in the opener against the Falcons? Well, what I think you witnessed was uh, uh, the development of Jameis Winston. Uh, the last three, the first three quarters of the game, uh, you know, the Saints uh, offensive line played pretty poorly. And then the Falcons were able to get pressure on Jameis. But what you didn't see was Jameis uh, making any uh, mistakes. You know, normally, like, when a game gets out of control, Jameis takes it upon himself to try to throw the ball all over the place and try to make the game come to him. Uh, you know, he, he made, you know, he was very patient. And as a Saints fan, you have to be very optimistic about what you actually saw on the field. Uh, you know, for those three quarters. So, I mean, I think you've seen some development, you know, in Jameis Winston. So, going forward, you have to be pretty impressed at uh, the poise that he showed until the fourth quarter, and he was able to, uh, you know, facilitate a comeback win. Any concern about how Atlanta was the far more physical team, especially in the trenches on both the offensive line and defensive lines for most of that game? Uh, yeah, it was a little bit surprising, don't get me uh, the fact is, uh, you know, I mean, you have to come away from that game saying the Atlanta Falcons, they, they improved on that uh, defensive line as well as their offensive line. Uh, it, it was very shocking to see that the Saints uh, historically for the last couple of years been a really good offensive line. And the fact that they got whooped in the trenches, yes, that was uh, shocking to me. 
but you also have to take into account a lot of these guys didn't take part in preseason. A lot of these guys uh, were just trying to figure it out and trying to develop that chemistry in a real game. So I expect going forward for them to be much better uh, going forward playing uh, as the season progresses. Let's turn the page in this matchup. New Orleans has owned Tampa for a handful of years now. They know how to pressure Tom Brady. They know how to make him frustrated. Chris Godwin, the all-pro wide receiver, is going to be a game-time decision. Their offensive line is banged up. But the Saints are banged up, too. Maybe no Alvin Kamara in this matchup. Oh, line's a little banged up. So what's the big advantage here? What's going to be the key for a win if your New Orleans comes Sunday inside the Caesar Superdome? Well, I think they definitely got to get pressure on Tom Brady. Tom Brady is the straw that stirs the drink. You know, I mean, I don't expect for them to uh, have some of those uh, issues uh, when it comes to, like, uh, getting to Tom Brady because here's the thing. Uh, Tom Brady is a stationary target. Marcus Mariota, I mean, Cam Jordan has said this in several interviews I've seen this week. Uh, he's a running back playing quarterback. So if you are a Saints fan, this this is what I feel. If the Saints can't get pressure on Tom Brady in this game, that's when you start to uh, kind of get a little bit worried about the defensive line. As far as the offensive line, uh, I expect for them to be much better this week. But you got to be able to get pressure on Tom Brady. And the fact that you have a lot of guys that are – uh, backups that are going to be playing in this game. Uh, Smith, the left tackle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, isn't going to be a part of this game most likely, or he's going to be banged up. You got to be able to take advantage of that. So you got to be able to put pressure on Tom Brady, and you also have to slow down uh, Leonard Fournette, who had a really good game versus the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Fournette, I feel like he's going to be a key in this game, right? Because yeah. he can, he has really kind of thrived in – since he arrived in Tampa and has kind of found second life, so to speak, for his career. And he runs angry, he runs hard. We saw that last week last week against Dallas. And we saw the Falcons be able to run the ball very effectively against the Saints' vaunted rush defense. Is that what the game's going to come down to, is whether or not the Saints can bottle up Leonard Fournette and minimize his impact? Well, I don't want people to get too carried away. Uh, what you saw was a team in Atlanta Falcons that had a completely different offense than years past. I mean, you know Matt Ryan isn't going anywhere. Yeah, he'll scramble every now and then, but he's not going to, you know, try to do things that Marcus Mariota was doing. Uh, I mean, the RPO game has really plagued the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, throughout the years. I mean, we've seen them play Jalen Hurts on two occasions, and they basically just dominated. When you have a traditional offense like Tampa runs, I think it gives the Saints an advantage. They can be able to buckle down and kind of focus in on Leonard Fournette. So I expect for the running, I expect for the defensive line to improve to be able to stop the run uh, in a more traditional offense. Not to say that Leonard Fournette uh, isn't going to be motivated. I mean, I think he's motivated by a lot of things that happen in the offseason as far as his weight, people criticizing, you know, say his, his uh, health regimen, I mean, his workout regimen or what have you. So I think that he's going to be motivated to play. And I also think that they're not going to approach the game like years past where you had a heavy dose of Tom Brady, I think you're going to see a more balanced attack. But I think the Saints will be ready. Talking with T.J. Jones, he's the host of the State of the Saints podcast. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. All right, bud. Can the Saints win Sunday if Alvin Kamara does not suit up? Yes. I mean, and that's, a, that's another thing too, Ray. I, I think that a lot of Saints fans have to understand this. 
the Saints facilitated that comeback, and Alvin Kamara wasn't really involved in it. You know, if you're going to win a game a couple of years ago, you team's going to have to get a heavy dose of Alvin Kamara in order for them to come back. The fact that you have Chris Olave, the fact that you have Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, seems like, you know, he's bad to, uh, to, to what he was back in 2019, probably even better. And you also have Mark Ingram. I know he fumbled, but he averaged 5.5 yards a carry in that game. So that's a pretty good average. And then you bring back a guy like Latavius Murray, who, you know, he's not going to be the most exciting guy on the field, but he is a guy that's shown when Alvin Kamara went down that he can't carry the load. So it's not like in years past where you just had a couple of players and if one guy goes down, then the whole, the whole ship goes down. So I do think that the Saints will be able to do uh, what they need to do in order to beat Tampa if Alvin Kamara doesn't play. Heck, if uh, if he's hurt in any way this early in the season, I say rest because you're going to need Alvin Kamara if you're going to make a push towards the postseason later on in the season. All right, brother, wrap it up with this. Give me your prediction for Sunday's game between the Bucks and the Saints. Do the Saints make it eight in a row against Tampa and hand Brady another L, or do the Bucks break that streak? I got the Saints winning this football game. I think the Saints are going to win. Uh, I, I really feel like the la- last year, and I know years are different, but I, I believe last year if Jameis would have played the entire game, the Saints would have blew him out again. Uh, I just think that there are some teams that just have your number. And I think the New Orleans Saints have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers number. And I know a lot of prognosticators out there, they're going to continue to say that Tom Brady is going to beat the Saints in the regular season. I guess, you know, if you keep on saying something over and over again, eventually it's going to be, you know, it's going to come true. But I don't think this is going to be the case. The Dome is going to be rocking. Uh, the fans are going to be motivated. And there's just something different about this Saints team anytime they play the Bucks. The Saints have been the standard in the NFC South uh, for, uh, you know, for a half of a decade. And now you have Tom Brady coming in and everybody's giving them as much attention. And the Saints are kind of, you know, taking a back seat. And I think they take offense to that. So I think the Saints are going to be motivated and they're going to knock off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If, if I would be able to give you a score, I would say uh, 31 to 16. Woohoo! Oh, I like that. I like the confidence and I like that fire take. My man says it's not even going to be close. TJ. No, I, I mean, the games wasn't close when they didn't even have offensive talent, as you know, as much offensive talent. So imagine what they can be now that they have on that talent. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think the Saints score any less than 31 points, right? I love it. I love it, brother. I love it. I always appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on, brother. Keep up the great work with the State of the Saints podcast, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right. You take care, Ray. Thanks for having me. TJ Jones. State of the Saints podcast. My man says it ain't even going to be close. It's going to be a molly whooping. Old school butt whooping going to be occurring inside the Caesar Superdome. I like that. Hey, reminder, the NFL's opening week. Yeah, it was action packed, right? But it's going to get better. It's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers are going to bet just $5 on any football game, and you are going to get $200 in free bets instantly. $200 in free bets instantly. 
Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code 1037GAME only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League. To find out all the terms and conditions and restrictions, visit DraftKings.com slash football terms. We got to take our final time out when we return. We'll give you our picks for the weekend for McNeese, UL, LSU, and the Saints and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tick, 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 tick. Time is running out for you to score tickets to see the Houston Astros live in person. Go register in the Game Rewards Club to win yourself four tickets to see Houston take on the Tampa Bay Rays on Saturday, October the 1st. We'll even throw in a tour of the ballpark and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. This is the last chance for you to score tickets to see the Astros. That's our last Astros we can give away of the regular season. Of course, Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, La Meridian Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. But you can only win them by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today. It's simple, it's easy, and it's free. I want to take a moment to thank our guests. It was a jam-packed Friday edition of RP3 and Company. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast. Paul Bird, LSU National Championship and Major League Baseball All-Star. Donnie Perron, the famed Port Berry High School football coach. Zach Miller, our fantasy football expert. And, of course, T.J. Jones from the State of the Saints podcast. Now it's time for us to make our picks. Five names. Are you ready? I think. No, you're not. No, now I am. <laughs> I'm ready now. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> okay, not Let's moving start it. off. With the McNeese Cowboys, a game that you and I will both be attending. It's going to be an electric atmosphere. First night game since the Hurricanes. First 7 o'clock kick since 2014. McNeese looking for their first win. They're taking on the Alcorn State Braves. I think it's going to be a close game, but I think the Cowboys are going to give the thousands of fans in attendance something to cheer for. Close game, hard-fought game, but McNeese gets its first win of the season, 24-20. to I think they use the luck of me being in the chuck for the first time and having all these traditions brought back. So helping the fans out, we're going to get our first win of 24-14, McNeese. Let's go to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They go on the road for the first time this season. They're going to be taking on Rice in Houston. I think Rice's defensive line is going to cause some problems. I think the Owls are going to give the Cajuns some trouble. That said, I like you well to pull away late in this one. I think it's a 10-point victory. Cajuns 34, Owls 24. I have 27-20 for the Cajuns. I think they're going to do better than McNeese did out there. But I think it's a big, yeah, probably around mid-fourth quarter to get it done. In the SEC, LSU opens up SEC play at home in Death Valley after getting off the schneid last week against Southern. The competition gets far more difficult. I think LSU makes strides in this game. I really do. I think they're going to have some moments. I just think Mississippi State is further along in their development. It's year three of Mike Leach. They're a good ball club. They know how to put up some points. I think this is going to be 
a classic game, but I think the Bulldogs are going to pull off the win 31-28 over the Tigers. I'm waiting to see for like a last 20 seconds of the clock and LSU pulls it out 24-23 over the Bulldogs. Ooh, low score, 24-23. And finally, on Sunday, Saints-Bucks. They've won seven in a row. Will they make it eight in a row against Tampa Bay? First three quarters gave me pause. The way that line of scrimmage played gives me pause. Whew. I have some trepidation here, but I say it's going to be an ugly game. It's going to be a low-scoring game. They're going to hold Tampa Bay to multiple field goals. Saints eke out a 21-20 to victory over the Bucks. I'm getting closer to TJ, so I'm going 28-17. Who that? That's going to do it for this edition of RP3 and Company. We'll do it all again on Monday from 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there and be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.